Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hi team, Oliver here. Pleasure to release this interview from Alwyn Wilson from Rome Motors, who are building an electric motorbike manufacturer and battery stack out of Kenya. I was particularly struck when talking to Alwyn about the size of the opportunity and how conforming to the theory of micromobility what they're doing actually is. Horace and I have long thought that the market for micromobility would be most exciting in countries where automobility and the electrification has yet to happen, simply by nature of these vehicles being cheaper and easier to operate, and the markets being less attached to the past than OECD countries. It's also the most exciting spot for future decarbonization opportunities in my mind. As a heads up, I'm committed to trying to find more people to interview in this space. If there's anybody who's listening to this who can give me an introduction to the team at Ola in India, please let me know via Twitter DMs or at oliver at micromobility.io. I would love to have that conversation with them and about their electrification efforts, given that they've just shipped their 100,000th electric moped just over a year from starting their production. In the meantime, if you haven't checked out our latest effort, the Rider Choice Awards, I'd really encourage you to check it out. It is our industry's version of the Oscars, the BAFTAs, the Top Gear, Speed Week, and the Whippies all tied into one. You can select the best firms and vehicles on more than 30 categories and get them selected for consideration ahead of judging for Micromobility World, which is happening on the 19th of January online. We have many of the top brands in the world currently battling it out for the top spot in the bike, scooter, pod, subscription business, shared operators, and more from around the world. We've been blown away by the level of excitement from the community and are super excited to share the preliminary results with you. The first round of cutoffs is coming later this month and then again next month, so get your votes in quickly. And with that, here is Albin. Let's go. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today Albin Wilson from Rome. How are you going today, Albin? I'm very well today. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, I'm, look, I'm very excited for this conversation. I'm excited for any conversation about micromobility in places that we typically haven't really covered. So when you first put yourselves on my radar, I was really excited and, and I'm just keen to learn more. So can you take me through a little bit about what Rome's doing? And, and I think maybe we start there and we go back to the backstory and how, how you came to be in time. Absolutely. No, so Rome is a company that makes electric vehicles in Nairobi, Kenya and especially tailoring vehicles uh, for mass transit for the, this region of the world, right? So we make basically public transport vehicles that includes buses, uh, as well as electric motorcycles, which is our primary focus, right? And the reason we see you know, electric motorcycles as public transport is because here locally in Kenya and around East Africa, they're used as you know, cargo vehicles, as well as motorcycle taxis. So it's, um, you know, a means of getting around, especially when, you know, congestion is growing in these parts of the world as urbanization is, you know, ever increasing. And the reason we focus on these segments is because, you know, charging infrastructure deployment is easier because you've got 220 volt outlets that you can charge the motorcycles out of and uh, buses operate on predefined routes. And also the return on investment for the users is much quicker than other products. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've had Ampersand on the podcast uh, who are obviously doing this in, in Rwanda or, or uh, something similar to to this with bikes on the road in, in Rwanda. And so yeah. their audience is a little bit familiar with it, but I think it's always really exciting to see to more competition in this space as well. And so can you give me a bit of context on the size as well? Like how many bikes you have on the road now? How many things you, how many bikes you reckon you have on the road pretty soon and how that's going? So right now we have 150 initial pilots on the road, but we're aiming to have, you know, over a thousand by the end of the year. Right. And then um, I think we're going to be a really quick ramp up uh, next year to over, you know, the tens of thousands. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Because what we've really aimed to do is tailor the vehicles for this market. Right. So we've, you know, really worked on designing our own motorcycles so that we aren't relying on one production partner in China, for example, um, we're able to locally source components as well as, uh, you know, manufacture some of them here. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really where we differ from the competition here locally, that we're not just importing a product and trying to implement it. Yep. We really have put a lot of research and efforts into developing a product that's tailored for this market. For sure. And the folks, uh, like when you say you've got 150 bikes on the road and then 1,000, so that that forklift that you can hear in the background is because Alvin is sitting right on the production line and I believe that you're, you're pumping out motorbikes as we speak. Is that not correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we, this is really, I mean, any anyone that knows anything about production, right? I mean, it's easy to build, uh, you know, a couple of hundred bikes, but uh, when you get up into the thousands, it becomes uh, a lot more complicated. No, so um, yeah, we're really ramping up production now. Awesome. And then on the other side of it, like one of the things I found fascinating, by the way, anybody who's interested in this stuff should go check out your website because I think you do an amazing job of marketing. I really loved the very localized version of of your kind of uh the motorbike ad that you have for rome for the motorbike that you're selling at the moment it feels so chic it was like a a real uh kind of a new aesthetic and i just and i loved it but uh you're not only doing the bikes you're doing the battery swapping as well like you you've focused on a battery swapping solution so the 150 bikes that are out at the moment are they out on lease or are they sold and how are you thinking about the business model for for that at the moment no so i mean we're we're looking to be like the hardware provider to a lot of these uh, business model implementers around the, um, the region, right? So yes. we've really built a bike that has the ability, you can charge it out of any outlet. So basically it scales infinitely across the continent uh, without the need for, you know, swapping infrastructure. However, it can be implemented on swapping infrastructure system, right? So, you know... We're working with right now with uh, a financing partner that's aiming to, um, you know, finance our bikes on a 14-month lease-to-own plan, basically. Yeah. So there's a there's a couple of features that are really important to make that happen. You know, for example, we have a lot of telemetry features that makes it easy to keep track of a fleet of uh, motorcycles, and then you know we're we're really focusing on making uh, these quite smart products, right, so that they work well if we were to sell them to a player for example like ampersand if they wanted to implement our motorcycles in their business model right yep yep i hear you so i mean we're really trying to be like the the central hub of of a lot of uh, business cases right so you know if there's larger b2b clients or leasing or swapping so be it right we can be the provider of the hardware for all those solutions Sure. And the and the vehicle that you mentioned that you've designed, so that is a, a, like a 
what would that be the equivalent of? Is that is it one standard motorbike, or have you got different models? Or so we have a a, a standard motorbike that we're we're putting out now, and it has you know a dual battery system. So basically, two three kilowatt hour batteries um, stacked on top of each other. It's basically like a hundred and fifty cc motorcycle. That's uh, as a comparison, and you know it's really tailored for high load cases, um, quite rough terrain, and, you know, to be interchangeable with spare parts that are available locally, to be able to be repaired and serviced locally. So we're really aiming on making a bike that is made for here, that actually works for here, right? Yep, I hear you. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into the bikes just a little bit later, but I do want to go back to the, how does, uh, I mean, Alwyn is not a name that sounds like it's from Kenya, if I'm totally honest. Uh, so uh, where's, no. uh, yeah, how did how did that come to be that uh, you were you you were there as chief of product and the story of the overall company? Well, so I think, uh, so the, the company was founded in 2017 as a research project in Sweden, right? And from there, it's kind of tried to find the thesis was to find, you know, the next implementation of electric vehicles and how you could create, you know, large scale impact. And then it was found that, you know, Kenya is the perfect market to start in, you know, even though Africa only stands for two to 3% of global emissions historically, it's a growing population. Automotive rates are rising. There's going to be a lot of uh, infrastructure problems and deaths in the, in the near future which means that, you know, we need vehicles that carry more people per unit or don't take us up as much space on the roads here, right? And then you come down to buses and motorcycles, right? And so what, what Rome aims to do is really bring together, I think, you know, the really core talent that's available here locally in form of engineering, as well as mix that with expertise within batteries and other areas from abroad right so we try to merge those two right so we have an experienced team that you know understands the product understands the market understands the user as well as the engineering behind the products that are used here locally now currently and then can develop a new product that's really uh, well targeted for this market Awesome. And of the team, uh, how, how big is the team at the moment and what percentage of them would be Swedish or, or from the from the Swedish contingent and, and, and how many of them would be local? So currently we have, I think it's 140 employees and um, I, it's 4% foreign and the rest is Kenyan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Somewhere around there. Yeah. And, and like, can you talk me through that? So my understanding is I actually don't know that much about the Kenyan motorbike manufacturing industry. Uh, forgive me. Yep. But like, is there other local indigenous uh, uh, motorbike production in, in, in Kenya or in anywhere in e- East Africa? So there's, there's really no manufacturing locally yet. There is a lot of assembly of motorcycles, ICE motorcycles, but those are, you know, brought in from India mostly and China and then assembled here locally and sold on this market. And that's basically, you can say that's true for at least all the other East African countries as well. Yeah. And then, so you're the first that's doing like purely electric in that regard then? Yeah, in the way that we've, we're the first one to design a motorcycle here locally with a local team. There have been others that have, you know, designed, tried to design a, a, a motorcycle specially made for this market, but no one that's done it in the market well. While doing the design right so i think we're, we're doing a lot of firsts right i mean we're the really the first electric 
motorcycle that's designed and designed in Kenya, right? And designed for this market. And then, you know, I think that's really makes makes a powerful product and makes where our differentiation is, right? Yeah, absolutely. And talk me through that, what the design process would have been like. Like, how is a bike different in Kenya for the Kenyan market and then, say, for example, the Indian market or the US market or, or others? No, so I think there's there's one that's the use case, right? So how does the user utilize the vehicle, right? So that's quite different from the US market, for example, or even the Indian market for that matter. There's a lot of like semi-urban places which have, um, you know, inadequate infrastructure that uh, means that the terrain is much rougher in certain places. It means that the carrying load of some of these products are much higher. It means that the price point is is very specific for this market. So I think, you know, there's a lot of things that, that really differentiate the product from different markets here. Awesome. And what are you finding, you know, with that? If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me, uh, of course. I mean, what's the, the price point that you're you're aiming for on the bike? I mean, when you when you say it's engineered for price, like what are we what are we talking about there? So we're aiming at a price point of one thousand five hundred dollars USD with our motorcycle including the battery or not including the battery including one battery out of the two battery system catch you right and the second battery if people can buy it they can buy it or they can rent it if they need it sort of thing exactly yeah so that's kind of the the thought right that we can retail with one battery and then if you need an extended range which you shouldn't need right you can do that through the rental system right yeah, awesome. And and when you talk about uh, assembly, like you've got a bike that's designed, but the the assembly itself is, um, you know, I, I assume just pulling uh, lots of parts together. What is what would be your mix of of stuff that's locally manufactured versus where your supply chain? You know, what's the amount of stuff that you have to bring in to be able to make that work? Can you do frames in 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 Kenya yet, or is it is that all? Well, I think first of all, <laughs> pull, it's it's simply pulling parts together is is a. Uh simplification of right when you've designed a product with you know a range of manufacturers around the world and distributed it's a little more complicated than that right so the distribution of local and foreign parts is basically i mean the powertrain is obviously from china most of the controllers the batteries and motors right then we get some auxiliary mechanical parts from india and then we make some of the frames here some of them abroad but most, you know, mechanical auxiliaries we get here locally. Yeah, marvelous. So right now, I would say thirty-five percent local and and the balance, uh, the balance foreign. Yeah, and and then for for like motorbikes in, that have been designed in Kenya, is there a? I mean, uh, how does it work for for homologation or, or registration or anything like that? Is there a, like an involved process for getting those uh, certified for the road? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, we take it one step further because obviously safety is extremely important to us. So we actually homologate them towards the Indian standard as well as the Kenyan standards. And here we, you know, we have homologation uh, standards as well as uh, units of government that that do that with us in conjunction with us. Oh, awesome! Mm. Nice. So those vehicles, obviously, get them on the road. Got 150 out at the moment. And who are the customers that are that you've got? And with that first 150, and who do you think will be the the next? Uh, th- say, for example, by the end of the year, the thousand who or, or so who have who have bikes. What mixes that to like commuters versus people who are using it for business versus people who are you know motor taxis? I mean, I would we we were aiming 100 percent at people who use it as a commercial vehicle, right? right? So obviously, some of the units will go to individuals but um the vast majority is really for 
commercial use. Awesome. And and like, can you give me examples of commercial use for 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 those who might be using it? So, I mean, here in Kenya, you have basically something called boda boda drivers, right? The boda boda drivers are PPK or PPP. Peaky Peaky drivers are commercial motorcycle drivers that use the vehicles for cargo transport or taxi deliveries or, you know, business to business deliveries or things like that, right? So that's one end customer segment. And then we have B2Bs like security companies such as G4S and things like that that use a motorcycle for their day-to-day business, right? So I'd say that we're really focusing on those two segments and that we're know trying to work with uh, finance years to reach those end customers that use them for commercial use and then working with these larger orders of fleet owners right so those are really the two target segments that we're going for yeah awesome and and then in terms of uh like competition like what is that what who, who do you consider your competition in the market i mean we we really see the the ice vehicles as the biggest competition um so ice motorcycles combustion engine personal vehicles as well as combustion engine public transport i think everybody's trying to do something electric i think we'll find some way forward of either working together or seeing that the market is large enough for, to fit us all right but you know what we're really aiming to is is to become the provider of, of vehicles for a lot of these business model implementers right so i think that's really where our positioning is and then we take it from there so we're open to working with a lot of these players on the market and just get really, you know, solid, high quality products that uh, also have connectivity and work on an affordable and reliable way. Yeah, yeah. No, that that makes heaps of sense to me. The the There's an interesting question, I think, that, that a lot of uh, we're seeing, certainly in the like EV space around the world, is that, you know, how much of the uh, electric vehicles that are being manufactured now are going to be there to... You know, like how far, uh, how how much will they pull forward the the replacement cycles for standard ICE vehicles? Like, is there going to be a really big influx in the amount of EVs that get built? Because there's a whole bunch of people who go like, actually, um, there's going to be kind of disincentives set up for ICEs going forward. I don't want to be stuck holding the bag on one of these vehicles that are actually going to be disincentivized over time. Um, and there'll be a big push towards uh, uh, like EVs as they over as they over replaced, in fact, relative to the amount of market penetration. Do you see that? Like, is that a what? Well, the reason I'm asking this question is because I can see uh, certainly based on like conversations I've had with folks who were running electric tuk-tuks in India, but also, uh, you know, the, the team at Ampersand about what's what's going on in, in Rwanda is that the economics of these vehicles can be so compelling comparable to uh you know other other ICE vehicles like you get 50 percent more earnings uh, in some cases by running an electric vehicle versus running a standard vehicle mm. can you talk me through what what like what your market research has shown you about that and, and what you think you know relative to to like, how that factors into what you think of for scaling well i think you know i think potentially uh, you know kenya east africa and the whole continent there will be maybe the first movers in a lot of mass scale deployment of electric vehicles. And I think that's because, you know, you see Kenya, right? It has already today, 86% renewable energy production. And out of that, there's 22% overproduction of electricity, which means that you basically, you know, have a lot of energy that's going to waste, right? And that could be put into a transport system, right? And then, you know, in Kenya alone, the fuel prices have almost doubled uh, year to year, right? 
which obviously is very taxing for these commercial drivers because it, it takes directly off their revenue and private income. And then, you know, there's also, you know, if you look six months back, it's not only a question of, you know, is it more expensive to run an ICE vehicle, but can you even run an ICE vehicle? Because we actually had a fuel shortage here, right? So it doesn't even become a question of, is it cheaper, but can I do the job I'm meant to do because there is fuel or there isn't fuel, right? So I think it becomes really, really compelling for energy independence, and things like that for countries like Kenya uh, with electric vehicle implementation. And then, you know, if you just count on uh, the reduced operation cost, I mean, what we were seeing with fuel prices three months ago, our, our latest calculation was that we lower operation costs with 76%, which is baffling, right? Um, and I mean, if that reflects, oh, <laughs> it's just, <Yeah. laughs> it's, just it's, 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 yeah. it's almost like, you know, it's it's ridiculous, right? And if you lower the operational cost with 76%, you can actually double the income of, of these drivers, right? And, uh, you know, it makes a huge impact. And then, you know, if, if the performance is on par with the current market offering and, you know, the charging times or the swapping works with those systems as well, I think, you know, it's it's really compelling. And I think, you know, the market will switch extremely quickly yeah um because what we've seen is that you know kenya's uh, ability to adopt new technology is just so much quicker than anywhere else in the world you know 2006 we had uh, mobile payments here um you know i think energy production will will quickly switch to decentralized mini grids and things like that and uh, you know, we we have one of the best 4G networks in the world, right? So I because, you know, no money was spent on landlines. So I think, you know, this leapfrogging and tech adoption is a lot quicker. And it's going to show that, you know, really the next frontier, I think, is is this continent and this part of the world. And it's going to be very, very quick on the on the electric vehicle front. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I certainly hope so because it's, you know, and it's interesting as well that the, the form factor that seems to be really picking up, like speaking to to Josh Dampson and you guys, obviously, I haven't found anybody else who's doing kind of electric bikes per se, but everybody's doing uh, e-motorbikes and like e-motorbikes for their robustness by the sounds of things and for the, you know, relative to be able to function on the, on the, on the kind of the quality of the infrastructure that might be available and also for the load carrying that they're able to do and for the... Um, um, yeah. uh, the ability to generate revenue in a commercial sense as well yeah. to make them economic. You know, what what are the other vehicles that you can see in the space? I mean, you're obviously doing buses, uh, but like, are there any other kind of vehicles that are emerging that you think are uh, interesting for from that lightweight electric vehicle, you know, shift that you're, you're talking about? You know, what I think is, you know, the really the first mover in the big market is really, you know, the vehicle that we're trying to make is, you know, it's not a sports motorcycle. It's really a heavy load capacity motorcycle. And you know, the, the infinite scalability with charging anywhere, I think, makes it really compelling for a lot large part of the world, right? But on the question of, you know, other more niche vehicles, I think, you know, sure, electric tuk-tuks will probably take off because it makes a lot of sense and you can have a larger battery and things like that. And then as we, we're really focusing on is now, you know, building a uh, locally manufactured, um, you know, city bus replacing a market called matatus here which is basically you know 
a simpler design that comes at a lower price uh, and that can be really implemented uh, well with the current ecosystem of buses. So I think that's really quite compelling. And then you've got a lot of these industry vehicles and things like that to got growth short ranges and production vehicles, uh, I, th- I think really will, will take off. But it's these closed ecosystems that work really well here because the lack of charging infrastructure hasn't really allowed for um, you know, a mass expansion of private vehicles or you know, maybe taxi fleets is potentially something that will, will come next, right? Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. And your point around the leapfrogging part, I think, is one that Horace, my co-host for the podcast, and I have been on about for for a long time. Like I, th- I, I can put, completely see the logic in that, and I'm, I love being able to tell these stories of of finding folks like yourselves who are like, yeah, look, we've we've got demand coming out our ears. People want to buy these things. You know, this is going to be the next big thing. It, it feels really, uh, really exciting. You mentioned that you're thinking ten thousand vehicles next year. Like, is there what's the level of demand that you found, and how are you tracking that? Do you have pre-orders? Do you have people who have like signed uh, letters of intent or fleet sales or anything like that? Can you reveal any data about that? So, I mean, this is hard to obviously go out on a public podcast with, right? But I can say that we probably have the largest. Yeah, yeah, I hear. No, I mean, so we have we have some private pre-orders, um, which is not the mass volume of our sales, right? But I mean, the larger scale B2B fleets, as well as LOIs that we have, you know, across the continent are the, where it's really compelling, right? And we're really trying to hone in, you know, building a well-produced motorcycle that scales really well without the dependency on singular suppliers, right? So that's really our strategy. And I think that's been really compelling because a lot of these financing companies and, and B2B, uh, you know, fleet owners and things like that see and understand our capacity and the, the size we're planning for, right? And the ability to actually decouple it from infrastructure requirements. So to answer your question, I think we have the largest deal sizes on the continent. Yeah, well. But I'm sorry, I can't be more specific than that. No, no, I, I understand that. That's cool. That, that feels straightforward enough i i uh, i understand as well because i but it's it's really compelling right yeah yeah it is very compelling and it is you know it's it's fascinating uh listening to we had uh the team from three wheels united who are in india but like do three wheel electric tuk-tuks and they they've got a couple of thousand vehicles on the road but they've got a pipeline of seventy thousand, and it's just they and it just every time i talk to them it's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because it's just you know the the economics of it are so compelling and there's you know ubers like come along and just said like we want to effectively sort out once you get all that supply online we'll do a deal with you to put those things on our on our app and it's it gets uh, very exciting of course of course the ecosystem is there it's just about building them now yeah yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, look, I want to change tack a little bit and ask a little bit about the company building uh, side of it as well. So you mentioned you have 140 employees, 4% of them are, are foreign. What's that process been like? You said you started in 2017. What was the kind of the early impetus and then the move? And, you know, how long did it take to get to Kenya uh, and to pick, you know, decide on Kenya? And then, and then kind of, was it always we knew we were going to do motorbikes or that pivoted over time? And then what was the, you know, fundraising like along that journey too? Well, so I think, you know, so what we've, what the company building has been really focused on. Um, initially, we, we focused on conversions for safari vehicles, right? So that was like a, a good market entry with vehicles because obviously the unique selling points are really compelling with, you know, you get, uh, you don't have to transport diesel out into uh, national parks. You don't have emissions while in an open vehicle uh, on a safari. 
you don't have a noise that scares away animals and takes away from the experience. So we've deployed a couple of those uh, initial systems, and that really gave us a foothold in this market. And then now we've kind of pivoted into focusing on these, you know, mass impact and mass use vehicles. So vehicles that are used all day, every day, right? Because that's really where we think we can make, you know, economic impact for the users, as well as uh, sustainability impacts for a, a local environment and a global uh, climate, right? So over the years, I think, you know, 2017 was the year that we, we moved down here and um, um, the founders had basically prepared for half a year before that, right? And what I think the important part is that, you know, it's always been 100% Kenya and Nairobi because, yes. you know, you can't be splitting up the company between Sweden and, and Kenya, right? So everybody's always been locally on the ground, right? Because you've got to see the users every single day. Otherwise, I think you'll build the wrong product, right? So that's why it's been so important to have, you know, all our designers, engineers and things like that here locally on the ground. And I think that's really, really where our strategy has been focused on, right? And then over the time now, we've seen that there's really the core of any of these business models that you really want to try out if it's financing or swapping or, or anything of that is, is really design ownership. So we've really, really focused a lot on making sure that we, we actually know our design know our suppliers of all the parts, know the singular components and how they operate internally so that we can actually scale well. Because I mean, anyone who's done production understands that it's not easy if you don't know every single part of that product, right? Oh, uh, 100%. No, so I think, you know, focusing on building products that are, you know, have a lot of market research behind them is what we really, really try to do is like work with the end user work with uh, what's currently you know on the market and why is that on the market those products right so we really try to ensure that we use the right production partners use the right um, strategy and time and invest in the right equipment for you know making a sustainable bike that can actually make it on this market because we don't want to you know build uh, low quality bikes that don't last right but what we're seeing now is that uh, unfortunately, some of the electric vehicles that are making it onto this market aren't of the quality that they need to be, right? So they're breaking after, you know, maybe usage for a couple of months, which is really sad to see because it it takes away some of the, the you know, expectation of the products. Uh, I think it takes away from, you know, the belief in electric mobility a little bit. So we really, we're in a, a race against time. I think, uh, you know, us and, and other serious players on this market to, really build in, you know, quality products that really are tailored for the use case yeah. here. Yeah, I hear you. And for the edification of the community, how uh, can you reveal how much you've raised to date in total? So the public numbers uh, that we've raised, we've raised a pre-series A that was 7.5 million, but I can't go into the, the debt and the, the raises that we've done in between now and then, unfortunately. But we'll, we'll have some public uh, numbers um, in uh, quarter one of next year so that should be really exciting i think and and when was your uh, pre-series a uh was it october last year so basically a year from now yeah okay right but we've obviously had um, other funding in between there and uh, i think it's it'll be when we you know reveal those numbers it'll be quite substantial for this market yes um which is really exciting yeah because my understanding is that there, there, there aren't really 
there's one other uh, vehicle manufacturer that I know of that exists in uh, that was actually in Kenya, but they they were originally backed by like Ford, but they were building a like a vehicle, a, like a, a kind of an SUV for Kenya, which for the life of me I cannot remember the name of Mobius. Yeah, Mobius. There we go. Thank you. I knew you'd know. And they, you know, they were the only other ma- vehicle manufacturer that I knew of that has raised money in to do vehicle manufacturing in East Africa. And they're obviously like a car company rather than a, uh, a kind of a motorbike manufacturer. But is that correct? Are there, are there others that have emerged? Because I haven't looked at the space for a couple of years at this point. No, I don't think, you know, not really, right? I mean, Mobius is a really great company, but I think, you know, I really want them to succeed. And it would be great if they switched, I think, to like an electric vehicle would be really cool. And yep. I think that would really work out for them. But I mean, we want to obviously... Everybody trying to, you know, create uh, jobs and, you know, really compelling products for this market, I think all power to them, right? Yes. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we're obviously trying to do something that's a little wider. We, you know, our belief in our strategy is that you need to own quite a lot of the value chain to ensure quality and ensure um, constant supply of vehicles and things like that, right? So we don't see ourselves as a manufacturer, right, in the traditional sense. I mean, we... Yeah. We contract manufacture with a lot of partners. Uh, we own the designs. We ensure that we can control quality and uh, you know inbound and outbound quality. And we have really close customer relations with our end customers and ensure that we cover the whole value chain for those end, end customers with partnerships and things like that. And then really on the end of that, add on compelling business models that really you know increase the features and the the availability of our products. Yeah. So I think that's really where, what we're trying to do is, you know, have a base fundament that's really compelling and then add on from there. Yeah, completely. I totally get it. I'm really excited for, for what you're building. Well, hey, look, I'm <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, genuinely, this is, this is, uh, I, I think, again, to go back to it, you just confirmed the thesis that I think that we've been looking, you, you, we've been waiting for companies like yours to emerge. And so it's always wonderful when, when we see them come to Russia because it's like, yes, somebody is making good on this thing that we, we thought was an opportunity and, and we could see it. And clearly you're doing all the hard work. We just get to tell, help you tell the story. But it, it feels... Uh, well, you should come by sometime. Well, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. I've got to, it's, you know, uh, East Africa is one area, area I've never been to and always wanted to go to. So I'm hoping maybe we can short sort something next year. Um, and it would be great as well if we could ever get you up to, you know, we've got a the Amsterdam conference in, uh, in Europe, which obviously is european focus but probably the closest one that we can get you to from a locality perspective but my aim is actually that we we will eventually have micro mobility uh somewhere in africa it, w- it would be awesome it sounds like nairobi or uh, rwanda east africa is really the hub of this place and it may well be that that's where we build our next uh our conference and uh it would be awesome to see that happen because i just as you say i think the future here is that when you talk about urbanization, where is the biggest city going to be built? It's actually, if you look at it, like all the biggest cities are going to be built in Africa and India. And like 100%. those are the cities also that are going to be the most constrained in terms of being able to build out. Like you can't do it with cars. You you won't be able to from a climate perspective, no. from a cost perspective, from all these other, other ways. So yeah, I just want to say hats off to you guys. I mean, I, I think it's amazing what you're building. Thank you. And it feels like the next generation of re- a really important auto company. So, hey, look, for folks who want to find out a bit more, where can they go uh, to, to do that? Uh, well, they can go to our website, which is www.romemotors.com. 
or just follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook for that matter. So yeah, feel free on LinkedIn as well. And you just search Rome Motors or Rome Electric. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. And and look, we get several thousand people who listen to this show. Is there anything at all that you want to ask them, uh, you know, ask the community for in, in terms of support or uh, ideas or other things? Well, I think, you know, I'd, I'd as anyone interested in this market or investing in this market or anything, I would really, you know, try to listen to the nuance of what's happening here as well as the scale of what's happening here. And, uh, you know, feel free to get in touch with us as an individual if you're, you know, you have some way to help or if you're looking to, you know, assist in any way. And then, I mean, if you're an investor, I mean, I think you can understand our strategy and uh, how we sit in this larger ecosystem and what makes us different. So, yeah, I think that's something I'd like to tell everyone out there. Awesome. All right. Hey, well, looking forward to having you on in the in, in the future when we uh, we have uh, you know millionth bike sold uh, threshold that we can we can celebrate on the podcast together. And uh, that would yeah. be lovely. In the meantime, thank you, thank you so much for your time. I really really appreciate it. Thank you, Oliver. <laughs>